Well, thank you. Yes, next on the docket, we have Michelle, and I am excited to hear from her today. Michelle Lang Raymond is a campus pastor at Warner Pacific University and the exec- executive managing director uh, at X on Stage, which I think is amazing. I'm very excited to hear. I know she's going to be mentioning something in that uh, in her sermon. Uh, Kurt, Kurt said, when I asked, I said, give me, give me a little info on, on Michelle. He said, she's a friend of Cascade, which of course for us is highly important, uh, and a brilliant theological and sociological mind. Yes. With those, let's, let's go for this. I'm looking forward to hearing from Axe here, Michelle. Well, hello. Wow. That's, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty, those are pretty strong words, um, which coming from your pastor means a lot because I think he is one of the most brilliant theological minds that I know, in fact, as well. So thanks, Connie. Thanks, Jonathan. And Connie, I think you're right. I love when children's messages are not just for the children, but we grownups um, can take, can take a bit from them as well. So thank you, Jonathan, for sharing, sharing so well as you do. I can't see people on my screen. And so I'm just going to have to, you know, believe um, in the, in the energy that is us. I heard some familiar names though. I know Greta um, Samson and I know the Routleys, Chris and Anna Coltrane and Tucker. Those are like, like extended family to me. So just want to say hi and give a shout out to them even, even before I jump in. Um, Am I free to just go ahead and jump in? Go. Go. Absolutely, you betcha. All right, I am going to jump in. I, I, I'm, I have a tall task in, uh, ahead of me today, which is to um, unpack uh, the messages that we can find in Acts chapter 17. But before I do that, you know, I just want to say that I that it is good to be with you guys. I'm going to do a little screen share, if that's okay. Um, I was told you guys are low key, so it's okay if my stuff is not all sophisticated. Um, let's see, here I go. Am I up right? Yes, looking good. Looking good. All right. So um, before I jump into this message today that that comes out of Acts chapter 17, uh, my message will be uh, titled A Tale of Three Cities. Um, I just want to say that a lot has happened in my life since I was with you all last. Um, Last time, I believe I was engaged, um, but not yet married. Um, And uh, and Jay and I were actually at your church. Uh Oh, hold on. I mess up already? I did. Hold on, guys. Okay. But on February 22nd of this year, I got uh, I got married to this, this wonderful being of a person. Uh, Jay Raymond is my husband, or more importantly for me, I am his wife. And uh, we got married on February 22nd of this year, which is notable because we got married on February 22nd, and then we went on our honeymoon, and we were gone till February 29th. Um, and I think we both came back and went to work. And a week later, uh, the shutdown went into effect. And so we got to spend the first six months of our marriage in, in a relative 24-hour lockdown, uh, which means at this point, we've been married like two years. Um, and so, <laughs> um, but it's been a great two years. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm just thankful. Um, I'm thankful. Actually, Cascade has actually been a part of our journey. And so... Um, the other thing that's happened, as I continue to do my work at Warner Pacific University, where I love, uh, as you mentioned, Connie, I am also now the executive managing director of a new theater called Acts on Stage. And our, our mission is to use the arts uh, to change lives dramatically, to, 
Um, to use the arts as ministry, um, I think the arts are divine. I always have, well, I should say I always have. I've, for a long time, I believe the arts are a divine gift from God and, um, and that I want to use them as best we can to communicate the gospel. Our theater centers um, on the works, the talents, the initiatives of people of color and people of faith. Um, and of course, in the midst of the pandemic, we just thought it would be the best time to open up a theater. And, um, and so we did. And so we did. So our first production is coming up in just a few weeks, actually in November. And Pastor Kurt has given me permission to tell you guys a little bit about what that first production is. But I'm going to save it until the end of my message. So I hope you'll all stick around um, and, um, and, and wait for me to tell you that. As our current president would say, um, it's huge. It's huge. Um, probably the hugest thing you've ever seen and uh, the likes of which have never been done before. So stick around because when I say it, I really mean it. Um, and it's true. Um, so all that, all that and nothing, let's move on. Um, I want to talk today from Acts chapter 17. Um, and I want to do something that hardly ever gets done. We had a good chuckle about this, Connie. Uh, we, I want to do something that hardly ever gets done in churches these days. And that's actually read an entirety of passage, a near a near entirety of passage uh, from scripture, because I think there's so much to see in Acts chapter 17. And, and, and while I'm not going to preach everything that there is to see um, in this chapter, um, I think it's worth spending um, the couple of minutes that it takes to read through the whole thing. So you're going to hear a lot of my voice and I apologize for that. Uh, but let's dive in. I want to I want to jump into into what the scripture has to show us. Here we go. Acts chapter 17. In Thessalonica, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and I agree with you, Jonathan, these words are not easy. These names are not easy, um, but I've practiced a little bit. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, so three weeks, he reasoned with them from scripture, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They were all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there's nothing, there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. In Berea, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was, was saying was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of Berea, the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, 
and left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Just a little bit more. In Athens, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aragopolis or Areopagus, there it is, <laughs> where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So then Paul stood up in the, in the meeting uh, of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are a very religious people. For as I walk around and I look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history, even yours, and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him, we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. I'm gonna end the reading there and let's just take a moment and pray. Lord God, thank you so much for how you have called us together to um, live in this moment of your word. Um, I pray um, that you would cause it to have, cause it to let something become alive and quickened in us, that you would cause it to give us life, uh, give us meaning um, as we approach life, as we do life. Um, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I, I know that you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And it's in your name I pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna leave, actually, I can take this off the screen for a little bit. So thank you for uh, indulging that, that really long reading. I, again, I think it's important. There's so many things that are happening in this passage that, that are relevant to today. When we look at, you know, there, there are people who don't agree with each other and, and, and they, they are moved to protest and to some degree even riot. They are moved to accuse and, and, and cause disruption. Um, there's just so much in that passage to unpack, um, but I know Cascade is a smart church and I know Cascade um, is a church that is already in the conversation about um, the relevancy of now and, and how we engage. And so I don't wanna spend my time talking about how um, there are so, certain moments in this passage that, that, that reflect 
the world that we live in now. I think you can do that on your own. What I actually want to pay attention to, what I want to draw focus on is how Paul visits these three very different cities in a relatively short amount of time. I hope you were able to capture from the map uh, where he was going. And in each of these cities, he's either proclaiming, uh, preaching, or pontificating um, is the fancy word to say, um, on the gospel of Christ, right? In ways and in manners uh, that the people that are in those towns can comprehend and engage. Even though for the most part, he's talking about the same thing everywhere he goes, he goes to three different places and he's talking very uniquely to the people that are there. And I kind of understand that. I can relate to that because right now, as, as, as we've kind of been talking about, um, um, right now my life exists in multiple worlds. I, I exist in a college world and I exist in a creative world. I exist in a world that is relative to my culture. I exist in a, it, we all exist kind of in this computer world right now. And of course we exist in this church world. And even though on a, on a regular basis, I feel like I'm talking about the same thing all the time, those worlds are very different and they have different ways of interfacing and communicating. And I think that's what Paul was doing as he was going from Thessalonica to Berea to, um, to Athens. And so I get, a, a, again, I get a little bit of Paul's movement. In Thessalonica, Paul leads something like a three-week uh, revival in which he is proclaiming the life and the suffering and the death and the resurrection uh, of Jesus. In Berea, he speaks to the Bereans who are described as a more noble kind of people, people who are inclined to study and examine the scriptures on their own, maybe kind of in a testy kind of way, uh, but still they were studiers and we find him talking and teaching to them in the way that is, is good for them. And then in Athens where we're gonna land today, uh, he most notably um, appreciates them for their high level of sort of philosophical engagement. They're, they're good thinkers. And he, and he appreciates them on many things, but he appreciates them mostly on, like, on, on how they can sort of espouse on religious ideas. And, and that's where I'm getting, again, I wanna center our time today on a pretty familiar passage that's found in verse 22, where Paul finds the altar uh, in Athens and the inscription on this altar, um, this place of reverence, right? Uh, the inscription that these philosophers have put uh, on this altar is to the unknown God. This is the altar that we have designated and delegated to the unknown God. Um, at first read, you guys, that inscription to, you know, I think for me and, and lots of people, at first read, that inscription can, can come off really kind of reverential, right? Like it represents the height of uh, intellectual exchanges between philosophers and philosophical thinkers who came to conclude that the best way that they could land their thinking and their musings on God was to call him uh, unknown. And, and I think in this place where you expect Paul to sort of be a little bit more highbrow, um, he actually, I think, he actually goes kind of low, right? And he, and he says, you know, after he's endeared them with respect for their art and for their, their religious fervor, um, he sort of leans down on them and he says, so, or this is my interpretation, I should say, of what he says. He says, okay, so this altar to the unknown God. So this is where you kind of got tired. 
of thinking about God. All of you deep thinkers and all of you people who can talk forever and ever and ever about anything, this is kind of, to me, where you got tired of thinking about God. This is where you stopped considering really the vastness of God and instead decided to put him in a box of what was or what is uh, what you allow yourself to know. This is where you kind of decided after all of your deliberations that the capacity of your reasoning had kind of run out and that kind of had run its course. And rather than let God be beyond your ability to capture and control, uh, you decided to create this place where God simply is identified as the unknown. So rather than thinking, thinking of God, rather than continue to think of God in the vastness that God exists in, you decided, not. Nah, we're actually going to end it here. And we're just going to say, to the to, we're going to create an altar to the God that is unknown, to the unknown God. Now, when I, when I read this passage, I wonder, and I'm just being, maybe I'm just being a critic, maybe, and that's okay. Um, when I read this passage, I wonder why they didn't call this the altar of the God yet to be known. The altar of the God yet, they called it the altar of the unknown God. And I wonder why wouldn't they rather call it, this is the altar of the God yet to be known. The altar of the unknown God to me feels finite, feels like this is where we ended. This is where we landed. This is where we're staying. This is, this is where we've drawn the line. This is where we place our feet in the sand. We're kind of done. It feels finite as if to say, we've tried to figure God out and we've decided the best way that we can leave it is just to say he's unknown, period, point blank, end of sentence, full stop. As opposed again to saying to the God to, that is yet to be known, which is to say to God and his truth, to the God and his truth that are so big and so limitless, that I will never exhaust or tire of discovering his truth. I'll never exhaust or tire of pursuing his truth or pursuing his vastness or living in the vastness that is God or living in the largeness, the universal, the universal grandness that is God. I will never exhaust or tire of discovering his truth or him or her, or them. I have, I have, a, I have a confession, uh, Connie. I don't like calling God her. I don't like it. I don't do it. I don't really like when people do it. And I know I'm not supposed to stand up here and say that. I get it. I'm just, I, I already said I'm confessing. That's the same as saying with all due respect, which means after that, you can say what you want, even though that's not really smart. So I have a confession. I don't like calling God her. And I'm, I'm not, here's the thing though. I'm not saying I'm right or I'm wrong about it. I'm just saying I don't like it. And, and I'm just saying that because it goes against kind of how I was raised to refer to God, right? Uh, how I was raised to revere God and how I was conditioned uh, to respect God. I was taught that you speak to God as a hymn because it reminds you where it's supposed to remind you how to show regard and reverence and respect, which is funny when you consider that I was raised uh, by a woman 
who regularly held positions of authority in business and in the military in which she was regularly regarded and revered and respected. Not only is it funny when I consider that, but when I further consider what my upbringing teaches me about respecting men, but not respecting women, right? And again, I'm not saying, so, so this idea that calling God he is how, is how I remember that. To, it, this idea of calling God he is actually flawed. Like not only in my own life, but I think ideology-wise, ideology it's, it's flawed. And the idea that a woman isn't or shouldn't be esteemed by those same, uh, by those same monikers and those formalities, right? Here's a little backstory on, on how something came to light for me on this. Um, I was in an Old Testament Bible class, uh, and for the first time, I risked speaking my truth on, on this, right? Um, I didn't really volunteer my opinion, quite frankly. Uh, at, at one point, another student in the class called God her, um, and I think I probably rolled my eyes or something, and I think other students caught me, <laughs> right? They caught me, and that led us to some discussion. And the student uh, shared that she refers to God as mother sometimes because it gave her a sense of the parts of God uh, that are kind or kinder, that are nurturing and that are compassionate. And for the first time, it dawned on me that I had never really thought of those parts of God. I had never really thought of God in those senses. And to me, God was, was a staid and statued and sort of just a provisionary figure. And so to hear her talk about um, seeing God differently or seeing God in a way that I had never thought about was sort of like my mind was reopened uh, to some parts of God that I had never considered. Now, I imagine a bunch of guys right now are thinking, hey, I'm kind and I'm nurturing and I'm, and I'm compassionate. I know my friend Chris is thinking that because he is. <laughs> and that's my point. That's my point. Just as you, we are not all that we are defined as right now in this very moment, neither is God. We are so much more. We are so much more and, and we are so much more to yet be discovered. We are yet unknown as is God. There is, there is, there is yet more uh, to be known. God being unknown shouldn't be to say that I am done finding out about God, but rather to say that there's so much more to discover and I should never get tired of that discovery. I should never get tired of God awakening to me, uh, awakening me to whatever else there is to know about him. I don't want to ever get to a place where I'm done searching God out. And I think that's kind of what Paul was getting at here is as you got to a place where you were done searching God out, rather than constantly seeking to know the one for whom your soul loves. I want to constantly be seeking the one for whom my soul loves. I want to constantly be seeking the truths that that one calls me to, wherever that truth may lead. Um, I was on Twitter the other day, you guys, um, which, you know, it's not, that's not news, but I, I was on Twitter the other day and I noticed a retweet from somebody that I, that I have a lot of respect for uh, in ministry. And it wasn't a retweet of, um, of affirmation. It was sort of a, a retweet to kind of draw attention 
to some of the conversations that are happening out there, you know, in Christendom. And the retweet was of a video by somebody preaching um, at this place called Redeemed Bible Church. I won't, I won't share the video. You can, you can look it up yourself if you want. But in essence, the preacher um, was challenging, actually requiring the members of his church to defy uh, wokeness, to defy and denounce this thing uh, called being woke and uh, wokeness. I got to be honest. It was really weird to hear a preacher do an entire sermon um, about wokeness. Just to continue to hear him say the word was just sort of like something about this just feels weird. But he kept, but 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 his whole message was to tell his members that they had to defy and denounce this godforsaken trend of listening and engaging with others who might actually expand your thinking about what it means. Uh, to live humbly and to act justly uh, because it's, it's an absolute offense. I'm being sarcastic to God and to those people um, and that those people should be excommunicated. Those people who, who, who live in or, or go in the flow of wokeness uh, should not be given voice uh, in the church, should not be heard, should not be listened to. Matter of fact, we should actually consider what they're doing, something like a spiritual stronghold that is anti uh, the gospel. Um, he was advocating to his members that they should not consider, that they should not continue to consider uh, if the truth of God, if the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ could actually exist in our current conversations about justice and about racism and about the American ideas of righteousness, um, that everything that there was to know about how believers should wrestle with, these truth, with, with truth on these matters Everything that, everything that there is to know was already on the table, that there was nothing else really to consider. I listened to a few minutes of that sermon and I could feel, um, I could feel my face you know, contorting uh, probably the same way I did in that Old Testament religion class because I really just could not fathom what I was hearing. I, I really just couldn't fathom what I was hearing and not because I'm an African-American person and and. And the, and the ideas that are espoused in, in wokeness might be more relevant to me. It wasn't even, it wasn't even about that. It was, it, it, it was really more about the essence of, he was saying, don't bother with knowing anything more than what you already know right now, right? He's like, don't bother, as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, don't bother to know anything more than what you know right now. And more importantly, you should disassociate yourself from anything or anybody that might continue to expand your awareness of God's truth in the world that we live in now. Don't gather with people and share experiences like they did in Thessalonica, don't do that. Don't read books or watch documentaries to expand your understanding like they did in Berea, don't do that. Don't venture to have conversations that might inform you beyond anything that you already know right now, like they did in Athens. Yeah, don't do that. Anything or everything that you know right now is all that there is to know. And anybody who tells you different can't or shouldn't belong to the body of Christ. And I just watched him preach that. And again, I just, I was just stuck. Like I said, I'm newly married and I've, I've inherited the joy of a uh, of co-parenting a beautifully brilliant 15-year-old uh, boy uh, who knows everything, 
Um, let him tell it. <laughs> My husband's on here somewhere and he, he can attest. He might be shaking his head right now. We have a 15-year-old son um, who, if you let him tell it, he knows everything. There is nothing else worth finding out in the world, Connie. Nothing else, uh, nothing else happening that he doesn't already know about because he knows it all. And that's what this Twitter preacher felt like to me. That's what listening to someone say, don't continue to learn, don't continue to pursue, don't continue to proceed, to, 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 to see, excuse me. That's what he sounded like. I, and I think that's what these people in Athens must have sounded like to Paul. And not just the people in Athens, but even the people in Berea and even the people in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, Paul came proclaiming not just a Messiah who came, but more that there was even more to know that he was a Messiah who came and who suffered and who died. They, they didn't have a mind, they didn't have a, they didn't have a thought about a Messiah who would suffer. They only had a thought about a Messiah who was glorious. They didn't have a thought about a Messiah who would come and suffer. And so they had to learn the Messiah in that way. In Berea, Paul came preaching about a God who was beyond their nobility and even beyond their capacity to litigate. But to the Bereans, they knew like they like if I can't litigate it, then it may or may not be true. And Paul said, God is beyond your capacity to litigate. And I, and I know you take great pride in being, being able to litigate and study, but God is even beyond that. And again, in Athens, he challenges him saying, even though you pride yourself on being thorough thinkers and debaters of death, what you have failed to do is stay awake, woke. What you have failed to do is stay awake to that that you do not know and to let not knowing be a continual journey of joy in pursuing your God. In verse 24, Paul essentially says that what he's trying to get them, get them to get to help them understand is that the God, I'm going to pull it back up. The God who made, oh, I hope I don't mess up here. Oh, oh I did a thing. I'm not sure what I did, guys. Hold on. I'm just going to stop the share because I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. So never mind. You can find it yourself. It's there. In verse 24, Paul essentially is saying that what he's trying to help them understand is that the God who made the whole world and everything in it is the God of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He is a God who does not live in temples or ideologies or institutions or voting blocks or trends or movements of the day. He is in those things, but he is so much bigger than that. He is a God that is so much bigger than that. And for you or for me or for them to determine that you either know him or that there's nothing left to be considered um, is an insult to who God actually is and the relationship that he's called us into. On Again, on February 22nd, I married the love of my life. And that's this year, February 22nd, this year, I married a man who I thought, Jonathan, I knew really well. I married a man who told me uh, who told me he was a simple guy and that he didn't have, he didn't need much. I have come to know that that is, I won't say that that's not true, but there's more to the story. <laughs> there's more to him. I thought I knew all there was to know. When I married him, I thought I knew more than anybody on the face of the earth about this man. And I thought there really isn't much more to know. 
Um, and while he is still the same person as a care, as a, in terms of his character and who he is as a being, um, there is so much more to know about him. There is so much more that I get to take the journey of getting to know about my husband. And if I had said on February 22nd that everything there is to know about Jay, I already know, and it doesn't bear any more journey, it doesn't bear any more pursuing, um, I don't know what our relationship would be like. I don't think it would be as good and as vibrant, as alive and as breathing um, as it is. And I'm thankful for that. And yet many of us in Christ, we get to places where we have decided that we know all there is to know about our God and that there's nothing else worth finding out. And we sort of create an altar in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives um, that really just kind of takes up space. It just sort of takes up space. Our religion just sort of takes up space and it just sort of holds, it holds a place, but it's not living, it's not breathing, it's not moving. It's no longer discovering the God who, who, who we can seek out for all of our days and we will still never know the grandness of our Lord. Um, and our relationship with God isn't meant to just take up space. Our relationship with God isn't just meant to be an idol in our life. Our relationship with the Lord is supposed to expand our being, to expand our movement, to expand our understanding of not just him, but how he is and how he shows up in this world. There's, a, there's another passage, I won't go to, but there's another passage in the Old Testament where, where it's in Isaiah chapter one, where, where God says, I know you got all your rituals. I know you got all your festivals and your church services. I know you got all these things that, that are supposed to show everybody that you know me. He's like, but I don't even like those things. I don't even like those things. He says, what I, what I want more from you um, than these altars and, then, and, and, and what, I, what I want more than these idols is I want you to live a life where you're constantly learning to do right. Where you're constantly learning to seek justice where you're constantly defending the oppressed, where you're taking up the cause of the fatherless, where you're pleading the case of the widows. He's like, I want you to live. I want you to, I want you to explore who I am through those means. In essence, God is saying, this is a, a bunch of stuff that you do to prove that you know me, but I would rather that you just constantly be in a place where you're getting to know me. He says, I think he's saying, you have reduced religion down uh, to these festivals and these events and these rituals. I know a lot of people got really upset when churches, um, when churches couldn't come together, right? And I think we have to be careful about that because I think the same way where Paul was saying it in, in, in Acts 17 and where it was being said in Isaiah chapter one, he says, you can't, we should not get in the habit of reducing our religion or reducing our faith down to these festivals and these events and these services when God is saying religion, our faith should cause us to actually raise up our thinking and to be more awake and more alive uh, than ever. And back to Acts, I believe Paul was saying to those philosophers in Athens, you've reduced God down to something that you can understand. And therefore what you've actually do, done is cease to understand God at all. I just wanna close with this. I want to caution us. Um, who've been considering the gospel of Christ for a while, or maybe even if you're new, to, to, to let this be a caution, a, 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 pro a proactive caution. But for those of us who have been considering the gospel for a long time or who've been following uh, Christ for a long time, 
perhaps like those in, uh, in Athens to whatever degree. I simply want us to consider a return back to a way um, in which we still found joy in actively pursuing the knowledge of the Lord, where we still found life and energy um, and not figuring God out, uh, but actually staying awake to who God is and how God is showing up in the world and everything in it. It's in him we live and we move and we have our being. It's not in God that we get someplace and we're done. It's in God, it's in the Lord that we live and we move and we have our being, we expand our awareness. And I want us to continue to be amazed and to be in great pursuit of all the vastness of God. Let our hearts be constantly in pursuit of the God yet to be known. Amen. I'm going to close this time in prayer. I don't have a I don't have a great segue to talk about Acts on Stage, so I'm just going to close this time in prayer, and then I want to share a little bit about um, Acts on Stage. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for how you bring us to this place, even this place that that we have to sometimes repent. Um, this place where we sometimes have to say, whoops, we got to a place and we, we sort of put our stake in the sand. Um, but actually what we should have done maybe was, was, was just continue to explore, continue to be alive, continue to be awake to who God is, continue to be awake uh, to the truth of the gospel that is not landed, but that is ever expanding. And we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, but there's so much more. God, I pray for those who are dealing with things in their life and their family, and, 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 they, and they have stopped seeing you in the vastness of who you are, but they, they sort of locked you down. And, and, and the way that they've locked you down, they can't see the miracle that they need. They can't see the abundance that they need. They can't see the freedom that they need because they've locked you down to something. God, I pray right now that you would expand our thinking, that you would let our thinking and, uh, and our awareness become alive again, become awake again, that we wouldn't discredit um, each other even for how we are continuing to expand and discover the vastness of you, but that we are encouraging each other to keep exploring, keep longing, keep hungering, keep thirsting for God, for the God that is yet to be known. God, I honor you. I love you. I, I respect you with, with my words, with my heart, with my life. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Amen. If I can, I hope my computer will uh, cooperate. Um, that may or may not be the case. Um, here we go. I want to share a little bit with you about this new venture called Acts on Stage. Um, my computer does something weird that I don't, at some point I can't see what's happening. So I'm just gonna believe that everything's working as it should and, um, and continue on. So um, this new venture that God has called me to is called Acts on Stage. It's a theater, like I said before, that centers the, the, the works, the narratives, the initiatives of not only people of color, but people of faith. I um, I, I started doing theater work in my early 20s um, because I wanted a way to, to teach young people, to teach teenagers about Jesus um, in a way that I thought was just more, more helpful. And theater was, was how I discovered to do that. And so I, I, I started doing things like writing plays and songs and all other kinds of, of creative measure. 
Um, and and from and my heart's work for the last 25 years, truth be told, has been um, to create a merger between the church and and the faith community, or the church and the creative community. And so this year, um, God's providence has made, has made that possible. And so Acts on Stage is a thing. I encourage all of you to go check us out at actsonstage.com. Um, I hope you'll 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 take a moment to get on our mailing list, um, not so we can spam you to death, but so that we can share with you all that we're doing. One of the very, very cool things that we're doing is our very first production is happening on November 22nd. And it is our theatrically staged film and online broadcast of 12 Angry Men. Maybe you have or have heard of that, um, that, that piece before. 12 Angry Men is like this iconic courtroom drama um, in which um, not only the defendant of the case is on trial, but the American justice system is actually on trial. Um, and, and for the first time ever anywhere, and I mean that very literally, um, we are doing this production uh, with an all black male cast. Um, it's been done with a white cast and it's been done with a multicultural cast. It's even been done um, with a man and woman cast, but for the first time ever anywhere, we are doing it with an all black male cast. And one of the things that makes that important is that this, this, this show um, discusses matters of racism and prejudice and bias um, and manhood and toxic manhood and community and responsibility. It discusses so many things, um, but we're actually gonna do it through the filter, through the voice of black men. And what we love about that actually is um, we're gonna discuss those things uh, through these characters, through these, through these guys and so the escape valves that we normally have about some of those themes and some of those subjects, we don't have, um, we don't have in this play and we're gonna explore them um, through these characters. And so what we're doing right now, we, we, we had to forego the idea of doing this in the traditional way where we put it on stage and invite an audience to come. We had to throw that out the window for obvious reasons and go virtual. And so now what we're doing is we're on this campaign to um, to get churches, organizations, and individuals to host watch parties um, all over the Pacific Northwest. Um, and and your, your pastor has already um, agreed that Cascade is going to host a watch party um, and have a discussion um, discussion based on this on this performance. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that time with you. It's already it's on November 22nd. Uh, that's a Sunday. It's a Sunday right before Thanksgiving at 4 p.m. The broadcast goes live. Um, it's completely free. There's no clickbait. There's nothing to sell you. Um, we're just looking to have important, meaningful conversations um, that we think this piece, um, that this piece will, will show. Um, and so um, I hope, um, I hope you'll, all, you'll all show up for that. I'm going to turn it back over to Jonathan and Connie. I don't know. My computer does weird things, so I don't know how to stop it sometimes. Uh, but I'll turn it back over to you guys. Sounds great. Thank you, Michelle. Oh my goodness, this 12 Angry Men looks so good. I'm really excited that we are, uh, as a church, going to be backing that and, and discussing it. Very significant. So, oh, Michelle, we are so much more. God is so much more. Just such great things to walk away with. And uh, it taps into a theme in my life that is really valued. And that's that idea of expansiveness. It's so much easier to constrict and become narrow spiritually, psychologically, every way, but to be able to expand. So beautiful words. Thank you so, so much. Appreciate that. 